inner dialogue, I had a realization that I wouldn't do this if I were a man. Understanding how to transform yourself in order to transform the world. Just because I don't feel that sense of like trauma doesn't mean that other people don't. And I started to realize that and in like the privilege that I had, quote unquote, of not having to feel that. If you value creativity, if you value innovation, if you value looking long at longer term trends, not just short term deliverables and short term profit, but you're looking to create something that is sustainable for the long term, then you, you need diversity. Hi there, this is Hope Crystal, Senior BBA and host of Michigan Voices Season 2 episode, Dialogue It Out. It's great to have you here. First, let's begin with me and my story of why I believe intergroup dialogue is incredibly powerful. It all started during my sophomore year when I took an intergroup dialogue class on gender. We would go for three hours once a week and we'd talk about various gender topics. I'll never forget one specific class when we were talking about high school and I had a major aha moment. At the beginning of every semester, I remember talking to my friends and classmates about what classes I was taking for the upcoming semester. I would always sign up for the highest classes. When I would tell classmates what classes I was taking, I'd read them off my classes and then say, but I'll probably drop one of them. And Back then, I would say that to not sound like I was sort of full of myself because at that time, I really didn't have the self-confidence or think I was actually smart. I remember always thinking that I wasn't smart, but I was just hardworking. And that's why I did so well in school and I got great grades. Although I was really hardworking, I was also smart. And so when I would tell my friends and justify, oh, but I'm going to drop this class, that justification made me feel like I was being nice. But the truth is, in intergroup dialogue, I thought, would I say this if I were a man? Would I justify my advanced course load by saying, oh, but I'll probably drop one. And the answer was no, I wouldn't. Society tells us that men are smarter and that men are supposed to be taking the higher classes. And this realization really helped me because it made me recognize this societal inequality that has been been created by gender and in the future to stop making those justifications about my intelligence and to recognize how smart I am and to have more self-confidence. That small change in behavior that I recognized in my intergroup dialogue class is the true power of intergroup dialogue. Today, I will be speaking with several people in order to help shed light on what is intergroup dialogue and why it's important.
Next, I talked to Rayut, a co-facilitator of the White Racial Identity Group, to get her take on what intergroup dialogue is. So Rayut, can you tell us what intergroup dialogue means to you? It's essentially a space for really for students to be able to to come into a space to dialogue on a specific topic. Mine is white race identity. I'll just give that as an example because it's helpful to explain. And essentially hear perspectives, learn critical consciousness, learn steps to take afterwards in active allyhood in different communities, talk about these social issues that they may not have had an opportunity to talk about uh, previously, and really understand their social role and their how their identity and perspective plays into into that issue or into that conflict that they're talking about. Rayu just threw out a lot of important social justice terminology, like critical consciousness and active allyhood. Let's all get on the same page and take a step back. Let's start off simple. Why does intergroup dialogue matter? Why does diversity matter? Well, to get an answer to this question, I spoke with lecturer and professor Chris Mueller from the Ross School of Business to get a business take on the value of diversity. I find the value of intergroup dialogue and diversity to be that if you value creativity, if you value innovation, if you value looking long at longer term trends, not just short term deliverables and short term profit, but you're looking to create something that is sustainable for the long term, then you, you need diversity. You need a diversity of perspectives because if it's something tangible like a product that you're developing and you've got people with common backgrounds and perspectives developing that product, you're very likely to program blind spots or features into it that will push away meaningful segments of customers because you didn't have that representation on the team. Thanks, Chris. So clearly diversity is important for a team, but what happens when there's a lack of diversity? Having a bunch of people who think the same way is efficient. Having a bunch of people with similar backgrounds and similar experiences who think in a similar way, albeit highly trained, potentially very smart, lots of expertise, the lack of diversity, if, if there's a homogenous form of thinking, it, it's very efficient. They're likely to speak the same language. They're likely to communicate with each other and be very productive they're also likely to come to the same conclusions and therefore be very efficient in their work, but not very interesting and not very creative. And if it's a policy or a practice or um, an organizational structure rather than something tangible like a product, same kinds of things. We are likely to design policies and practices for a team or an organization that suit our needs because our needs are most apparent to us. And if you want to build a team and organization that has creativity, that has the ability to innovate, that has the ability to anticipate the needs of tomorrow instead of just the needs of today, then you need to have diversity of representation in order to um, point out 
the blind spots that we all have and that we all bring to a conversation. Here, Chris shares that diversity and intergroup dialogue is important because it feeds creativity, innovation, and ultimately long-term success. Now that we understand a little bit more about the value of diversity, how does the intergroup dialogue program actually define intergroup dialogue? A broad definition of intergroup dialogue is that it is face-to-face -face facilitated learning experience that brings together students from different social identity groups over a sustained period of time to understand their commonalities and differences, examine the nature and impact of societal inequalities, and explore ways of working together towards greater equality and justice. Let's hear a little bit from Maya, a student in the white racial identity group, to hear about what was her experience like going into the group. It was very interesting to walk into this class thinking that we were like all white students and, and kind of like all the same, quote unquote, but it was very eye-opening to see that. No, there are so many differences in terms of identities, even if you do identify as white or if that's just how this country labels you as. So it was very interesting to go into class and, and kind of hear like, there's no box for me to check off as an Arab American. Like I have to check off white. I'm not Latino, I'm not black. Like there's there. this is all I have. And it, it was so interesting because I've never really had that experience. So it was very eye-opening to see the, the varying levels of like identities, even though it was all like a, a white class. That's really interesting and helpful to hear, Maya. Was there anything during your class that really reframed your, your view of the world and your view of whiteness? This white supremacist who's, who's supposed to come to campus, it was such a big deal because can Michigan say no, they're a public institution, like really not supposed to have like sides, quote unquote, if it's hate speech, if it's something that's targeting, he's very anti-Semitic, you know, if it's making people feel like very uncomfortable, should we have him? And so that was a discussion that was brought up in class. And so we basically talked about it. And I remember being in that class and I'm thinking very, in my mind, logically, Michigan, as a public institution, they have to uphold freedom of speech. Do I think they should condone him coming? No. Do I think we should support him? No. But I don't think it's their place to, to not have him come in terms of what is logically and like morally correct, I guess. And I remember this, this girl, she was Jewish. She was white. And she was very adamant and very strong. We're, you know, it's kind of like an argumentative, like you're having these conversations. They're very open, they're very honest. And she was very adamant. No, this is not okay. In this conversation, I began to like take away and realize, oh, I think because of my whiteness, my understanding that, you know, all of these systems and stuff, they kind of serve to protect me and, you know, other white folks, but then you have a, a white supremacist who's like very anti-Semitic and he's coming to campus and how deeply that can affect you. Whereas it, it wasn't affecting me. So why, why should I care if he comes or not? 
And so in that moment and in that conversation, I began to very much realize that, wow, like I understand how something as simple as someone coming to have a talk, upholding freedom of speech, how like deeply traumatic that can be felt. And I think that applies to not only Jewish people, to, to anybody really. I think that was a big takeaway for me was just because I don't feel that sense of like trauma doesn't mean that other people don't. And I started to realize that and in like the privilege that I had, quote unquote, of not having to feel that. That's incredible. And I think that is something that speaks to the power of intergroup dialogue. Like when else would you have an experience like that where you're in a classroom of people with a bunch of different identities talking and being open about their perspectives on a topic and being able to have a major takeaway like that. And so thanks for sharing that. A little bit of history on intergroup dialogue is that it was developed in the 1980s at the University of Michigan Ann Arbor during a period of racial strife and conflict on many college campuses in the United States. Now it's being implemented at a number of colleges and universities around the country. Intergroup dialogue brings together 12 to 18 people from two or more social identity groups. These meetings are supported and guided by a skilled team of co-facilitators that use an educational curriculum integrating cognitive, affective, and behavioral dimensions of learning. The co-facilitators are chosen to reflect the composition of their dialogue. For example, a dialogue involving men and women would have one male and one female co-facilitator. IGR, or Intergroup Relations, at the University of Michigan is divided into several sections. Students are placed into one of several groups, including ableism, educational justice, gender, race and ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, students of color, and white racial identity. Now that we know a little bit more about intergroup dialogue, let's learn about what do you actually do in intergroup dialogue. We'll have another conversation with Rayu, who led the white racial identity group. So in the beginning, it's a lot about talking about building a community, getting comfortable. And then when we go into hot topics, specifically in our group, like I said, we're talking about this is the hot topic, but we're talking about white race identity. So in the hot topics, we've talked about affirmative action. We talk a lot about the cycle of socialization and liberation. Give a brief explanation about what that is. It's kind of the cycle you fall into. You begin at the beginning. It's, you know, when you're born, it's the different um, patterns we fall into. And a lot of times we're unconscious of these different belief systems that we're a part of. And starting to mitigate those biases is what we, what we learn about in dialogue, the internalized biases. And we've talked a lot about um, the Black Lives Matter movement. Obviously, since this is always an important topic, but the past summer we talked about looting, rioting, the social contract, and that. I don't know if you've heard about that, but it's basically that the social contract has been broken when black people are killed in innocent black people are killed in the street. And the social contract is that the police are supposed to protect people when that's broken. So is a social contract. So looting and rioting is completely acceptable talk about a lot about the social contract and people had differing opinions regarding that 
we talk about allyhood now, the next last, last few weeks of the class and next steps for people and what that looks like and what really being an effective active ally looks like. You mentioned critical consciousness. What is critical consciousness? So a lot of what we do is awareness building, especially I'm going to use my group specifically just because it's helpful to understand. We're talking about privilege. So what what do we do with that privilege? If we become just aware of that privilege, we don't learn how to like leverage that privilege, specifically when we're talking about whiteness, we're not we're not being active with that. And we're not doing anything with it. So it's really important with critical consciousness that we are conscious, we are critical of it, we are critical of the systems that play into this, that feed into these um, systemic issues, especially when we're talking about racism. And we are doing things to work with this privilege. We are aware and we're educating. A lot of what we're teaching our participants and we're teaching ourselves is how to leverage that white privilege so it's not just there and we're utilizing it to help marginalized communities. You mentioned the cycle of liberation. What is that? So there's four stages. The first stage is kind of getting to know one another, getting to know your specific topic. Second is kind of diving into it more. Third is hot topics. And four is talking about alliances and how to coalition build and really creating action points from the program because dialogue is a form of social change. People don't necessarily always see it as that, but there's a lot to it. Cool. So intergroup dialogue is a form of social justice. What what have you learned from it? What is the value in uh, intergroup dialogue? Understanding how to become scholars of belonging, like that's literally a quote from Adrian Brown, and moving towards transformative justice. Like I said, not just being a part of the system. How to be an ally as a white person. How to how to really really work towards that, and not just changing your profile on Instagram or writing a or donating because it's not that's not where it ends and I think that's where people get get kind of mixed up because that's not really allyhood as a verb so and it's also talking about these issues and understanding that we may not all be in an agreement on certain things but I think that coming to see different perspectives on these issues in, in a space with all space with all white people is really transformative for a lot of people. What would you say to someone, you know, from this class, from what you've learned, from leading it, what are the things that people should be doing? There's a lot of things. The first thing is, honestly, for a lot of people, joining a dialogue is a first huge step. That's a huge part of social change that people aren't always necessarily aware of. Joining a dialogue, hearing different perspectives, different lived experiences, listening, being being present and not taking up space that's a huge part of being an ally a huge part of learning how to be an ally it's it's about learning to mess up but changing your actively changing your behaviors afterwards not having it as a rep, um, repetition and just posting on the internet like kind of like mindlessly i don't want to say that it's always mindless but i think that that's an easy way for a lot of people it's about doing things and being a part of actions and not seeking recognition for it. That's huge. It's committing to doing your own work without seeking recognitions or rewards. It's asking questions about the systems and the things that you've learned about, whether that's your you've been whitewashed in your education, 
or other ways as well, and asking yourself why certain things, why certain systems are the way they are. The answer to a lot of it is systemic racism. It's about building relationships and friendships with people who aren't white, but not having it be a tokenizing relationship. That's a huge, huge piece. I think a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I have I have um, a black friend or um, I have a Latino friend, and that that's not where it ends. It's also being present, surrounding yourself with different identities, but not, like I said, have it as a tokenization at all in any way. Redistributing resources, so redistributing money, leadership, electing people of different identities, different social identities, different racial identities, and really having decision-making power finally be diverse and, and not all white. For you gave some great insights into action items that everyone can take, like joining a dialogue, committing to doing your own work, and asking questions about why systems are the way that they are. He started out this episode by talking about why intergroup dialogue is incredibly powerful to me, where I highlighted my aha moment regarding gender norms in education in high school. Well, let's end it by how intergroup dialogue continues to constantly impact me in a positive way. My social justice education through intergroup dialogue has come full circle from the beginning of college to my senior year. Although my learning from intergroup dialogue comes through in many aspects of my life, one all-encompassing experience was this year when I was peer coaching a female student. I am a peer coach for underclassmen that are interested in finance as a career path, and most of my time is spent talking with students. I'll never forget when I was doing a mock interview with a female student, and she raised a concern to me that she was nervous that she sounded overconfident and full of herself in an interview. I remember taking a pause in that moment and I asked her, would you have this concern if you were a man? She answered no. This question helped the student to reframe her view of thinking in an interview to highlight her key experiences and accomplishments for what they are, great successes that she can share in a confident and brilliant way without letting gender norms impact her tone. This is just one of many times intergroup dialogue has helped me make a positive difference in someone's life. It was a pleasure to have you join me to listen to Dialogue It Out. A special thanks to Chris Mueller, Maya McCrum, and Rayuk Berkowitz. Please consider signing up for an intergroup dialogue class and tell your friends about it. Next, we'll hear from Maya, who shared her story on this podcast with United We Stand.